Last Sunday, I, uh, I used it as, as an example, one of the highlights from the Rio Olympics, the, the ladies' seven-a-side uh, rugby team. But, you know, there were some other things from the Rio Olympics that caught the world's attention, and they weren't even victories. They weren't medal uh, completions. Does anyone remember Abby D'Agostino and Nikki Hamlin? Those names ring a bell. Abby from the U.S., Nikki from New Zealand, running the 5,000 meter, not even the final race, it was just a qualifying race. And do you remember they collided? And they fell, and the two of them helped each other up, and then continued the race? It captured the world's attention. That reminded me of a couple of other YouTubes I've seen, similar occurrences. Uh, One being, and I'm not quite sure what the event was, but it was a cross-country race, uh, and there was two brothers in the race, and the one brother was leading, and as he came around the final corner coming to the uh, finish line, he was totally spent, and he could not make it on his own. Uh, And the person who was running second passed him, and the person who was running third was his brother. And he noticed his brother stumbling and knew he wasn't going to make it. And so his brother gave up on the race and helped his brother stumble his way to the finish line. And as they got to the finish line, he pushed his brother across first. It reminded me of a race that took place in 1976 uh, at the uh, Spokane, Washington Special Olympics, where nine men and women with different mental and physical challenges lined up to race the 100-yard dash. Uh, And the uh, gun went off, the race started, and they were having a great old time running this 100 yards uh, when one of the participants, a man, fell. And he lay on the ground and he was crying. And a number of the racers heard what was taking place behind them, and they actually stopped. And they walked back, uh, and as the story goes, uh, one of the ladies who was running bent over and gave him a kiss and said, this will make it better. And the two or three individuals who had given up on the race and had gone to help this man up, they linked arms and they walked the balance of the race and crossed the finish line together. And the crowd erupted and gave them a standing ovation that went on and on and on. And in all those events that I just described, you know what happened? The audience witnessed true love in action. And it had such an impact on them that they stood up and applauded. And I couldn't help but think, could you imagine if that was the impact that the church had on the world as the world watched the church in action. And yet, unfortunately, the question we more are apt to ask is, why is the church having such a minimal impact on our culture? And people write books about it. And church leaders go to seminars on it. And we talk about how we can change things, how we can liven things up, how we can water things down so that we can have a a greater, more relevant impact. We live in a world where people are desperately seeking true 
fulfilling, lasting love. And we know they look for it in a lot of wrong places. And we know that apart from Jesus, they're never going to find that true, lasting, and perfect love. And what do those things have to do with each other? Love and action. A church impacting its culture. A world that's desperately searching for love. And here's the connection. If the church wants to make an impact, if the church wants to make a difference in the culture, it first has to love each other and then extend that love to everyone who desperately needs Jesus. And that's why Jesus said to his disciples on the night that he was going to be betrayed and put to death, He said, love one another. Because love for one another is a core characteristic or should be a core characteristic for a follower of Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, I shared from that passage that uh, Katie read from in in John 13. And we know that uh, from, uh, if if you've uh, uh, read that passage and you've heard it preached on before, it's called the Upper Room Discourse. Uh, so this is, this is hours before Jesus is going to be betrayed, he's going to be arrested, he's going to be persecuted, then he's going to be put to death, and Jesus is spending some quality time with his disciples. Uh, and we know that Jesus could have focused his attention on himself, but he didn't. Rather, he focused his attention on the needs of his disciples, and he wanted to tell them those things before he left that he felt that they really needed to hear. And so we saw, and if you got your Bible, you can just flip to John chapter 13. And Jesus said to them in verse 34, he says, A new command I give you, love one another. Jesus knew that love was imperative, not only for their spiritual well-being, but as well for, for expanding the gospel. And he also knew that this was a, this was a group of varying personalities. And they needed to lay their differences aside, and they needed to love one another. And a couple of weeks ago, we, we, we emphasized the fact that Jesus said to them, as I've loved you, that's how you're to love one another. And we saw that Jesus' love was impartial. It was selfless. Jesus was drawn to those who had nothing to offer him. It was an enduring kind of love. It wasn't fickle. It wasn't based on circumstances. It was a sacrificial love. It cost him. Sometimes use the Greek word agape love to describe the kind of love that Jesus demonstrated. And that's what he says to his disciples. You need to agape love each other. And something's very unique in this passage we didn't talk about this a couple of weeks ago. Jesus has already talked about loving people. In fact, he's he's cast a pretty wide net. He said to love your enemies. At the end of the summer, I talked about how Jesus talked about loving our neighbors. And we saw that our neighbors is anybody who's in need. So that's a pretty wide net. Jesus has already cast. But he says, a new command I give you. 
Something's different about what Jesus is saying here. And what he's saying to his disciples who are gathered in this room, he's saying, you, my followers, you need to love each other. And by extension, he says to those of us who are gathered here at Auburn this morning, who are followers of Jesus, you, followers of mine, you need to love each other. You need to love the other followers of mine. And I'm going to give you a standard by which you measure the love that you have for each other. And that standard is the love that I have for you and that I'm going to demonstrate for you. And so we might ask, well, why? Why did Jesus narrow this focus down so much? And the answer is in the next verse. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Jesus knew that when we followers of Jesus love each other, we become a magnet to the world. When people walk inside Auburn Bible Chapel and they see followers of Jesus loving each other, it causes them to stop and take notice. It causes them to ask questions and become curious. It causes them to start believing that maybe this message of Jesus really can transform people's lives. Of course, the flip side's true too. Because if people come inside a church like this and they see people who call themselves followers of Jesus bickering and being in conflict and not liking each other and not demonstrating love, they don't want anything to do with it. They get enough stress and conflict in their life without having to come into a gathering of people who are just filled with stress and conflict. And we've seen it. We've all experienced it. Whatever churches we've come from, and, and, and even here at Auburn over the years that I've been here, we hear people share wonderful testimonies. They've come into this place and they've experienced and had demonstrated and watched people love each other. But I've also heard of people that have come in here and they've witnessed or experienced conflict. And they've decided to leave because they don't want that as part of their own experience. And so Jesus says, I'm giving the world something that they can, they can test your credibility by. And that's how you love each other. Because when they see that you're loving each other as I loved you, then they know that you're my disciples. In September, we've been talking mission, and we've been talking vision. And uh, if you got your bulletin, you've got the mission and vision statement every week right in front of you. Our mission, to invite people to know God personally and to understand their unique role in his plan to save the world through his son, Jesus. That's our mission. We're partnering with God in his mission. That's, that's the mission of every church. That's the mission of every Christian. Our vision here at Auburn, to become the kind of community where anyone can belong so that they might come to know and be transformed by God's love. We took some time to make a little pithy passion statement that in a few words could encapsulate what I've just read in the mission and vision statement, and we now have it on the wall. And Katie, I believe we have you to thank for these wonderful paintings, real belonging, transforming love. That's our passion statement. 
And a couple of weeks ago, we started talking about our strategic plan, that if we are going to realize this vision, that we are going to be this kind of community where people are going to come in and they're going to feel that they can belong and they're going to be transformed by the love of Jesus, we need to have an action plan to put this into place. And so we shared with you uh, the overview of our strategic plan. We desire to grow primarily through people coming to faith or renewing their faith in Jesus Christ. We believe that achieving this is a long-term process that requires the following four goals. First of all, cultivating a loving and welcoming community for all who come into our midst. Secondly, equipping individual Christians to share their faith relationally. Third, as a church, intentionally cultivating ministry relationships in the community. And fourth, providing opportunities for people to explore the basics of Christianity. And I explained a few weeks ago that the, those, the second, third, and fourth goal, those things are going to, to overlap with what we've made our priority for this ministry season. And our priority, the thing that we feel we need to work on first, is cultivating a loving and welcoming community for all who come into our midst. We've asked people who are still here at Auburn. We've asked people who have left Auburn over the last recent while. What is it, if you could change one thing at Auburn, what would it be? And the answer that we heard almost the majority of the time was a sense of community. A sense of community. And we know that if we are going to be a place where we are going to grow by people coming to faith and deepening in their faith, if we're going to be a place where people want to come and stay and invite people to be part of this community, we need to be a, a, a loving community. And our priority needs to be cultivating a loving community. And so we shared some of the strategic priorities that we have for this ministry uh, year. Uh, one of them celebrating God's grace on Sunday mornings. We want to continue to celebrate God's grace. And, and perhaps in new and creative ways this morning, we, we t- I guess we took a, 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 a step back a few years and we had hymns. Every song was a hymn. And I watched people walking in the back door and we had a little problem getting the, the words up on the screen. And people were singing as they walked in. We want to celebrate God's grace and hopefully it can be in unique and fun and creative ways as we do that. We want to welcome newcomers. Uh, we want to uh, welcome newcomers and communicate t- uh, to them how they can become more deeply involved in our community. Third, we want to provide opportunities for members to build deep friendships with one another. We want to ensure that members are being cared for by their church leaders. Uh, and we want to encourage members to pray for one another. So those are our five strategic priorities. And this morning, as Ben has already set, set us up for, uh, we want to focus on two of these things. So number three was providing opportunities for members to build deep friendships with one another. Uh, And one of the priorities of that strategy is that we want to establish a membership policy. And that is my task to talk to you about this morning. Uh, And then Ben's going to follow me. uh, And that next priority uh, was that we're going to ensure that members are being cared for by the church's leaders. And Ben is going to uh, introduce a new and improved and revised care group uh, strategy that incorporates 
uh, elder care and pastoral care. So I don't want to say too much about that uh, because Ben is going to follow me up. So let's, let's talk about membership. And I know when we sent out the, the advance warning of what we're going to be talking about this morning, I know how excited you probably were that we were going to be talking about membership today. And, and I got to admit, my challenge was how could I talk about membership uh, that would make it uh, something that's interesting, uh, exciting, and relevant uh, and, and, and capture your, your uh, excitement and interest, as Ben said. So, so hopefully what I'm going to say over the next 10 minutes or so, we'll do that. But, but let me give a couple of opening comments when it comes to membership. First of all, we need to understand the difference and the distinction between being a member in the universal church and being a member in the local church. So the universal church uh, or as Paul said to the, to the Romans, uh, the, the body of Christ. If you have entered a, a relationship with Jesus, you are a member of the universal church. You are a member of the body of Christ. Then we have the local church. The local expression of the universal church. The, the microcosm of the universal church. And so understand this, it is critically important. The most important thing in your whole life is to ensure that your name appears on what John says in Revelation, the Lamb's book of life, that your name appears in that. But the leadership here at Auburn, we believe it is also very important that followers of Jesus commit themselves to a local church where they give the resources, where they serve one another, and they're kept accountable. The second thing about membership, especially for those of you who are visiting, you've, you've heard our vision statement, hear this. Membership is not a prerequisite for being able to have an experience to have and experience an active part in this community. You don't have to be a member to experience what Ben talked about at the outset of the meeting, this, this sense of belonging. If you haven't signed on the dotted membership line, it doesn't mean that you've got to sit in certain pews. You're not allowed to sing uh, when the praise team is playing. Uh, if we have coffee at the back, you have to wait till the members get their coffees first. That's, that isn't what we're talking about. Membership is actually a, a further step in the process of what we believe experiencing true belonging uh, is about. So I, I just wanted to get those two things said off the bat. The, 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 the obvious question, the elephant in the room, is why bother with membership? And, and that's a fair question. And uh, I've heard that question many times. Some people ask it out of curiosity. What, what is membership about? Explain it to me. Some ask that question out of suspicion. As if membership somehow uh, directly links your, your offering envelope to your savings account. And why membership? Like, what's the take? You know, what, what, what's going to happen if I actually sign on the line? Some ask that question because they think membership sounds really stiff, really too formal for a local church. 
You know, we, we, we understand that being a Christian isn't a lone ranger kind of thing. And we understand the importance of community and fellowship, but do we really need to go that far and have membership in a local church? Some question whether it's necessary. If we're all members of the universal church, if we're all, we're, we're all members of the body of Christ, if we've put our trust in Jesus Christ, then why do we need membership in the local church? And finally, some ask that question, and I have to say it, because it's, I want you to understand that we value your feelings from your past experiences. Some people say, why bother with church membership? Because my experience in the past with church membership has been negative. And so you bring, and you're carrying a lot of baggage, and you're bringing with you a lot of fear about church membership because of previous experiences. And, and so we get that, and we understand that. This whole idea of church membership and where people stand on it can really fall into four schools of thought. Over here are those who think there should be no such thing as church membership in a local church. And then there's a second group who would say, you know what? The Bible doesn't mandate membership. But I can see lots of practical reasons why having some kind of membership is a good idea. Then there's a, a third camp who would say, you know what, there's a lot of practical reasons. But I think the implication from the New Testament, especially, is that church membership is a good thing. And then there's a fourth school of thought that would say, no, the Bible clearly teaches church membership. So it's obvious that there would be practical positives of having membership in the local church. And I want to share with you my experience. For most of my life, where I would actually think about things like church membership, I was way over here. For those of you who grew up in the same tradition that I did, you would probably know membership bad, fellowship good. All right? So some of you know what I'm talking about. The more I've studied it, I'm really having a hard time understanding the distinction between the two, but that's where I grew up. Over the years, as the elders have talked a little bit about membership, I probably fell into that second camp. Don't think that the Bible mandates it. There's a lot of good practical reasons to have membership in the local church. As I've prepared for this, over the last number of months, as we've talked about membership, and I've studied the scriptures, I'm in the third camp now. I believe that by implication, the mandate of the New Testament and the example of the New Testament is speaking to some kind of idea of church membership. And the more comfortable I've gotten in that third camp, I probably could be persuaded to say I'm in the fourth camp because I'm having a hard time drawing the line between the two. That's my personal take. Not all the elders are probably on the exact same page in what school of thought, but we're all not in the first camp. Definitely in the second or third camp. So I just wanted to explain that as well. So let me answer one last question. Why does membership matter? And uh, Alex, if you can put the, uh, the, 
the second slide up and we can start going through those as I, I mention them. Let's, let's look at some of the practical reasons why membership matters. The first reason, in formally joining a church, you make visible your commitment to Christ and his people. Membership's a, another way of raising the flag of faith. You're, you're stating before Christ and his people that you belong and are part of this family of followers of Jesus. Now we, we talk a lot about being part of this invisible universal church, being part of the body of Christ far and near, and yet it's within the visible church that God intends for us to live out our faith. And so by formally joining a church, you are making visible your commitment to Christ uh, and to his people. A second practical reason. Making a commitment makes a powerful statement in a low commitment world. Uh, and some of the stuff I was re- reading, one person said, you know, many of our bowling leagues require more of its members than do most of our local churches. And, and, and the reasoning they said is because often the local church is a sad reflection of the culture we find ourselves in, which is a consumer culture. And, and everything is, is tailored to people's perceived needs and desires and, and to satisfy preferences. And what happens if it doesn't meet our perceived needs and it's not satisfying our preferences? It doesn't even matter what we're talking about. We move on. We find a different product. We get a new job. We, we find a new person to be in a relationship with. Committing yourself to a local church is making a very powerful statement, a very powerful counter-cultural statement. We're saying, I'm committed to this group of people, and you know what? They're committed to me. I'm here to give, to give of myself more than I'm here to get. A third practical reason Membership states in a formal way, I'm part of something bigger than myself. Membership gives structure to the Christian life. It puts us into a, into a physical place where we can live out what it means to trust and obey Jesus. It puts us in a real life setting where we can do all the one another's that we read of in Scripture. It puts us in a place where we can serve one another, love one another, encourage one another. And then the fourth practical reason, probably the most obvious one, membership is valuable for organizational purposes. There's been so many times over the six or seven years, I guess, I've been an elder here, where we've talked about certain issues, whether it's a, a person or a family and all of a sudden, we don't know where they are. Well, we've heard they've been checking out a couple of different places or, or they're having some, some issues and, and we're not really sure whether we've got the, uh, the right to, to say such and such to them or to really be tracking them down and, and, or other things that come up. Boy, we'd love to hear what people say. And the comment over and over is, boy, if we only had a membership list. If we, we only had a list of the people that were committed to being here. It would make voting on issues so much easier. 
It, it would make filling certain volunteer positions and roles, leadership roles, that, that much easier uh, if we had uh, some kind of uh, a membership. And Alex, can you go to the first slide? Because I totally forgot this and it's very important. In the next week or so, we want to send you and have available to you a package. There's going to be a letter in it. There's going to be a request form. There's going to be a booklet that explains more, talking about some of the stuff I've said, and, and even further, more details about membership. But ultimately, boiling it all down, here's the commitment that, that we're hoping uh, you would be willing to sign. We're praying that you'd be willing to sign. It says this, I hereby affirm that I commit myself to the mission, vision, core values, statement of faith, and I didn't memorize it, Alex, you've got to go back. <laughs> statement of faith and leadership structure or government of Auburn Bible Chapel. I'm converted to Christ. I will live in conformity to Christ, committed to this church community, serving it with my time, gifts, and money. I now desire to be accepted and presented as a participating member. And so our desire is that that would be something that you would be willing to, to, to agree to. Uh, and that we would have the opportunity to meet with you as elders and to get to know you better and have opportunities to talk back and forth. And we're planning on having membership meetings. So even for some of you people who have been here forever, you already see yourself as a member. We encourage you to sign this and to come to these membership meetings because we're going to talk about some things that are, are going to be of interest to you, some of our strategy. You're going to have opportunities to ask questions. I wanted to bring that up before I answered the, this last question, why church membership matters. So we've looked at some practical reasons. Now, let me just end with what I believe is the biblical justification for membership. Last week, uh, I was looking at Hebrews chapter 12 with you. And you know, if you kept reading in Hebrews, you get to the very end where the author t- to the Hebrews gives some concluding remarks. In verse 17, he says something that at first was very troubling for me. It says, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. And then if you were to keep going and you went to First Peter, chapter 5, Peter says this, and this is to the elders and to the flock. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you close yourselves with humility toward one another. And I considered these passages, I couldn't help but think of two very obvious questions. If there is no thought whatsoever in the New Testament concerning some kind resemblance of church membership, who are you supposed to submit to? Who are the the elders that the author to the Hebrews is talking about? Does does that mean that you need to put yourself under the leadership and submit to the authority of the elders at Ferndale? At Calvary Pentecostal? To People's Church in Toronto? 
And similarly, and much more personally for me, if there's no such thing as a concept of church membership in the New Testament, who am I as an elder and Richard and Arnie and Daryl and Brian? Who is it that we are going to have to give an account for how we have cared for? Am I responsible for a visitor who comes through the door and they never come back again? As an elder, am I responsible for the oversight and the care and the shepherding of people that go to Pathway? So some of the biblical reasons I believe that membership matters is first of all, church membership allows us to be accountable. It allows us to place ourselves, to offer ourselves to others, not only to be encouraged and loved, but to be held accountable, to be corrected, sometimes even disciplined. It means putting ourselves under the, the leadership and the authority of those that God has entrusted to the local church. It sounds kind of awkward saying that. I thought about that this morning. Here I am an elder and telling you that you need to submit to my authority. As if it's some weird, unique thing that we would ever ask. But I thought this morning, I can't think of it. There's no other thing that you sign up to be a member of where you aren't putting yourself under the leadership and the authority of those who are responsible for it. Even Costco, a gym, the old video cards. A second reason is it helps us as elders and as pastors to do our job. The Bible makes it very clear the serious responsibility we have as leaders to oversee and to care for the flock, for those that God has entrusted to our care. And without church membership, I'm not really sure who it is that I'm supposed to give account for. A third reason that church membership matters is because without it, there can be no discipline. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul is talking to the Corinthians about someone who is, who is blatantly sinning in their midst and is unrepentant. And, and Paul, when he gets to about verses 12 and 13 in 1 Corinthians 5, he starts using some interesting language. He says, you can't leave that person who's in the church in the church. You must cast them out of the church. And I thought, well, how can you cast somebody out if you don't really know who is in? Or we even have a definition of what it means to be in. And so if we are taking people out from in, then there must be something that means in. And, and so we can't discipline. And, and discipline is, is done in a loving context. God says he, he, he disciplines those he loves, as a father would. And so without church membership, Church discipline is very difficult. And then fourthly, church membership is good for you and it's good for others. It gives you personal assurance of your testimony of faith. When you sign that statement of commitment and you meet with the elders, it is going to be very assuring for you when we say, you know what, yes, we believe that your testimony is credible. And that your conduct doesn't disqualify you from being a member in the local church. 
And it's good for you because you're, you're placing in yourself in a setting where people are going to love you and are going to encourage you and they're going to care for you. And the elders are committed to loving you and caring for you. And you're putting yourself in a place where what you're going to be doing is good for others because you're committing to love and to serve and to courage, encourage others. And so it's good for, for not only you, uh, but for others as well. And then the last thing, and Ben, I got to get you up because I've probably taken about 10 minutes longer than I was hoping to, is that there's, there's other uh, scriptures that, that to me very clearly or kind of hint towards uh, the concept of church membership. Uh, Acts chapter 2, someone was keeping track of people being added to the church. Acts chapter 6, they had a vote for deacons. Uh, Romans chapter 16, where Paul ends his letter to the Romans, uh, without some kind of a concept of church membership, it's really hard to understand Romans chapter 16. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, it's hard to read those and, and to be able to obey the commands in those passages if you don't have some kind of concept uh, of church membership. 1, Corinthians, or sorry, 1 Timothy 5 uh, Verses 3 to 16, uh, it's Paul addressing the church in Ephesus on, on how to handle and deal with the widows. And they came up with this well-organized widow care program. And so we see this church in Ephesus is, is very well-organized and has an idea of who's part uh, of that church. And so that's some of the biblical reasons for church membership. Uh, and with a great transition, Ben, come on up and you can... Uh, you can figure out your own segue. <laughs> Thanks, Brent. So, so uh, as Brent said, we're, we're short enough on time. I don't want to take up too much time with this. Alex, do you want to actually leave that slide, that last slide up? Um, as we've talked about membership, I think one of the things that we've been convicted of as elders and pastors is that membership really is not primarily a matter of signing on a dotted line. It's primarily a relational mode where we say we, we commit to each other to care for and love each other. And we, we also are asking the leaders of the church to commit to us, and we're making a commitment to them. And we have this reciprocal relationship spelt out in the New Testament, where the elders are supposed to be actively shepherding people. And that's something that takes time and investment to understand what people's needs are. It's also something that takes trust, that we can't shepherd people who don't trust us. And that's something that needs to be demonstrated and earned over time. And at the same time, there is this submission, or I really like how that Hebrews 13, it, part of it talks about the idea that our members should be emulating the leaders, that they should actually see the lives of the leaders and see the goodness of the style of life that they live, and that they should want to grow and to become like those people. And that's something that's all through the New Testament. You see the apostles saying, be like us because we are like Christ. And then you see the people who are coming after the apostles saying, be like us because we are like the apostles who are like Christ. And that is really God's design, is that the leaders of a community would be able to say, follow me because I follow Christ. And as we follow him together, we will grow in our Christ-likeness. And so we believe that a central part of membership, maybe the most important part of membership, is pastoral care. That it is the leaders investing in the people under their care, and it is the, the people under their care responding and growing and being willing to say, yes, I, I, I want you to be part of my life. And, and we want that to be something that's developing more strongly here. It's actually something we've been working on for a couple of years now. It was a big part of the reason why I was hired in the first place. Part of my, my contract says I'm supposed to uh, quarterback the elders in doing 
pastoral care. In the last couple of years, we have been trying a couple of different things. We have been spending a lot of time in our meetings talking about the needs of the congregation and praying for the people here. So just so you know, if you have needs and they've come up at our elders table, you're being prayed for already. We've also been actively trying to think of who it is that, that we see as being committed to this community. And the elders have been reaching out and trying to establish basic contact and, and get to know a little better the people who are under their care. Um, but we really wanted to take it a step further and to make it something that is really publicly known, that you know who it is that's shepherding you, which of the elders is really taking responsibility for your well-being, and that you have a place where you can reach out to them and let them know your needs, and that you can get to know them better as a person. And, and as we talked about that, and as we prayed about that, the thing that came to mind was really small groups being the best place for that. And there's a lot of churches that would attest to the fact that small groups are a wonderful place for that to be taking place. That being said, we're going to do it a little differently than, than some churches have done, or that even we have done in the past. The way we're going to do our small groups, which we're actually calling care groups, uh, is going to look a little different in the sense that, first of all, it's not necessarily going to be a weekly commitment. We, we know that for a lot of people, committing to something that takes place on a weekly basis is too much. They don't have that much time available in their week. And so what we're asking is a minimum of once a month that you would be gathering with a small number of other people in this congregation and that you would be able to get to know one another in that context. And in that context, we're also going to be very deliberate about making sure that an elder is present in those care groups that they would be getting to know you personally in those places. And, and then in those places, we would also have prayer going on, that you would be praying for one another, but also that you'd be letting your request be made known to the elders, and then the elders would be praying for you in those care groups, as well as bringing those needs back to the elders' table, where, where it can be prayed for and talked about as a, as a leadership team. So that's really going to be the basis of what we're going to be doing in the next while. Brent, as he said, there's going to be a membership package coming out soon. And alongside that, there's going to be a care group survey. And that care group survey is going to ask you, what is best for you? Do you want to meet regularly on a weekly basis? Do you want to meet less regularly on a monthly basis? What day of the week is best for you? What would you like to see happening in that group? Would you like there to be some, some study of some kind? Or would you really just like to have that opportunity to get to know each other, get to know the elders, and to pray for one another? And so you'll get to see that taking fold over the next little while uh, as, as we unpack that. Uh, but we're excited about this. And as elders, we've agreed this is a good step forward, that, that this is something that we really ought to be doing. It's a mandate God has given us, and it's also something we, we want you to get excited about, that we're taking that responsibility seriously, and we want you to be actually actively involved in that.